I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Gallant Few podcast. My name is Mason Stewart and I'll be your host this evening for our very first Premier League show. So it uh, makes a change from talking about Rangers, which might be a, a nice one, boys. But with me tonight, first and foremost, we've got the main man, Colin McDuff. How are you about? I'm good, Mason. Thanks very much for having me on in the inaugural Premier League show. Tina said um, I, I need another hobby because I'm talking too much about Rangers, so I decided to take up watching the Premier League, so she can't complain. Yeah, to be fair, mate, it's uh, one of the two, Rangers or, or the Premier League, that's what I am talking about, so this should be quite a different trip for me. Um, next up, we've got Graham. How are you, Graham? Been a while, mate. Yeah, all good, mate. Thank you. Um, but disappointed you didn't introduce me as a main man, but I'm just going <laughs> to let that one slide. That's fine. You are really, I just, you know, I'm just being nice, and I. <laughs> and, and last but not least, we've got a gallant few debut. Jamie, Jamie, how are you? I'm all right, thank you very much, guys. Um, no affiliation to Scottish football, but Colin always tells me I've got too much to say when it comes to football, so he invited me on and I thought, well, um, I'll give it a bash and see how we get on. Could be quite fast this time, I'm, I'm liking it. Jamie, I think <laughs> a, a Liverpool fan. I am for my sins, uh, Liverpool through and through, always have been. Um, not a two team fan. I'm literally a one team, one team man. So none of this plastic, um, this plastic fan stuff, you know, the, the plastic flags, uh, sitting at the side. People that have one team in Scotland, one team in England. I can't think of anything worse. Yeah. Instead, Jamie's, Jamie's taking the noble route of being a glory hunter, you know, supporting his local team 500 miles away. <laughs> You're lucky I was going to turn up on a full kit. <laughs> These Liverpool fans, honestly, they're an absolute pain. <laughs> I've got to stay quiet about that uh, a team a million miles away, but uh, I don't really want to be talking about Liverpool too much uh, tonight. We were dogs uh, <laughs> earlier in the season, so uh, <laughs> no, it's good, good to have you on, though. Um, let's get, let's get um, Colin, let's start with the big news this week. Frank Lampard um, being sacked. Uh, by Everton. Uh, he's left the club 19th in the Premier League, uh, only there, not bottom by a goal difference. 
their win rate is 27 his, his win rate at Everton this season is 27 percent um so not good at all for him um he, he lost to West Ham 2-0 at the weekend and you know as I said being so close myself to to West you know West Ham and, and that is the nearest team for me there was rumors that if they lost at the weekend, David Moyes was going to get the sack. So it was El Sacchio in England this weekend, and we've got El Sacchio in Scotland, Aberdeen, and and uh, Hibs, uh, you know, coming up. So, uh, Colin, what's your thoughts on on Lampard getting the sack? Ah, it was coming, wasn't it? I'd, I quite like Lampard um, as a coach. I thought he he done an alright job at Derby. I thought he was quite unlucky at Chelsea the timing that he took over. Um, I think I do like him as a coach. I've always liked him as a player. He's very, um, I don't know, he has, he's got that, the likeable mannerisms. Um, he seems very grounded in the earth, but this was coming for a long time. It's just, he couldn't get a tune out of this team. Um, and I do feel sorry for him uh, for a wee bit. It's Everton, Everton are an absolute basket case here, club. Uh, there's no getting away for that. Um, and I think over the next few years, we're just going to see a bit of a merry-go-round um, and managers. Like, the next manager will probably come in, get um, a new manager bounce, relative success for maybe half a season, maybe 18 months. And But I just don't see the the infrastructure at Everton for somebody to go and build something and really like, progress up the league. Um, and... Uh, with that, I, I do feel sorry about for Lampard. I don't really think he was ever get, given a platform to build his own side. Um, but it had to, something had to change. If they, if there are any hopes of staying up, they need somebody who can come in and get the best out of what they've brought. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't think he was. I'll be honest. I don't think he was the right appointment at, at the time. Um, his first signing was Deli Ali, and I think it kind of summed up his time um, at Evan. It was always going to go downhill from there. Graham, what's your thoughts on, on Lampard and, and obviously the situation at Evan at the minute? Uh, yeah, I think I'd be remiss to say, obviously, um, with it being the gallant few before Rangers got due in, um, Lampard was num- my number one choice. I'm quite surprised. It's surprised I'm not surprised. It's went um, sideways for him at Everton. I thought, you know, he had a solid start to his career at Derby. I thought when he went to Chelsea, um, he probably could have done with getting a wee bit more time. I, th- I thought he was bringing through some, a lot, giving a lot of the youngsters a chance at Chelsea. Obviously, some of that came from the, the loan spells he had with him at Derby. Um, and then, as Colin says, when he goes to Everton, maybe it is just the whole um, basket case, a club point of view. I think the, the one man that would have done well at Everton was the one man that was taken off him by Real Madrid uh, after, what, a year in charge. So uh, I do think they need someone as high class as like your Ancelotti's. And obviously, I think that was probably a one-off for them, to be to be perfectly honest. And I can't see anyone coming in at this point um, and really stabilising them long term. I think they probably need a change of ownership and just um, from top to bottom, change of the club. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely need a leader there. You're right, I'm saying about Ancelotti as well. Forget that he was there a year when he left to, to go back to, to Real Madrid. But um yeah, since then it's it's been it's been all downhill. Jamie, uh, I bet you're absolutely loving this then. Um the, the, the things are happening at Goodison Park at the minute. Um but, but in all seriousness, what what's your thoughts on, on, on Lampard? Um and obviously, you know, is their situation gonna get any better? Yeah. 
I'm going to try and stay objective as possible throughout this, obviously, but, but um, I kind of echo what the guys were saying. Like, I don't think Lampard was the right man to come in at that point. What you've got to remember is that this new owner, Mashiri, he's invested about $500 million. There was a season where they were spending $50 million on pretty much everybody. Um, and unfortunately, every manager's kind of had to try and deal with that ever since because these are players that have been brought for them, not for, not what the manager wanted. I'll give you an example. Shank Tosin, they spent they spend an absolute brickload of money on him and I think he only played about four games for them. Um, you've got Solomon Rondon. You've got Neil Mopey, who's the, the latest one they brought in. They've just spent so much money on the wrong players. And I don't think Frank was going to ever come in and destabilise that. Game touched on it. Frank has kind of made his name when he was at Derby of giving people like Mason Mount, Tom Kearney, uh, Tamori, those kind of lads, an opportunity. And that was probably the right level for them. Went into Chelsea and tried to do the same again. But Chelsea's a totally different beast. So it was inevitably going to be too much too soon in the way that they approach it. Everton was always going to be a gamble. Everton's a whole different level of ball. And I think at the end of last season... I think that was pretty much where the the, wall, the rating was on the wall. They literally stayed up by the skin of the teeth. It was that whole galvanising that, that, you know, they're coming together. And I think there was an issue with financial fair, uh, financial, um, fair play, which meant that they couldn't go out and spend a lot of money. So the signings have been very, very scarce this season. So Frank was always going to be up. But to me, I think if you take out the West Ham game, I think the timing of the sacking is a bit of an issue. I understand why they've done it, because the transfer window is still open, but the next two games are Arsenal and Liverpool. Now, to some extent, they would have been a free hit for any manager, including Frank. So it's probably understandable what direction are they trying to take it in. And I think, you know, the rumours are that they're trying to attract people like Marco Marcelo Bielsa. But again, he's going to look for time. He's not going to get that. This whoever comes into this is literally good. Their job is going to be stay in the division. I think they're going to be very, 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 very lucky to stay in the division, um, and I mean that. Um, and that's not obviously good because they're one of the founding clubs, the team that have never been relegated, and I think they're in serious, serious trouble this year. I think the the good thing, I guess. The only good thing for Everton is how tight the Premier League is just now. So, I mean, at this point in the season, uh, what, 20 games in? Um, yeah. Usually we could see uh, a few teams at the bottom really starting to, to go astray from the rest. Right now it's so tight down there. I think there's three points between 20th and 14th. So, I mean, yeah. it's not obviously impossible. I think it's just the wider issues at Everton that are going to hold them back just now. Yeah, and apparently today they're one of their main, you know, youngsters is going to be going to to Newcastle and Anthony Gordon for for forty million pounds. So that will be a blow to him as well to to lose a local boy that, that you know is talented and um, you know especially again I know the financial fair play. And I think you make a really good point about that, Jamie. But the last thing they want at the minute is is to lose that you know local talent. Um, and, and I think you know that their signing, their recruitment is where they are. But but boys, just to stay on this one, just for, for only a couple of minutes, I'm going to come around to everyone and, and say, who do you think should should come in next for Everton? Um, Colin, um, Bielsa is the favourite. Um, also names like Sean Dash, um, linked. Um, if you was in charge of Everton, who do you think would be the best choice for them right now? Uh, it's hard because it's not just um, who's the best choice. It's who 
who's going to want to take the Everton job because it's either a big club, either it's the Premier League, but as we've all said, it's you know, it's just such an unstable club there now. Um and the disconnection between the fans and the board's always a hard job to take. You're kinda of stuck in the middle. I, I think um J- Jamie's right, it depends on what direction Everton want to go in. If we're gonna go into kinda of siege mentality and it's just try and get X amount of points between now and the end of the season to stay up and we don't look beyond May. I think it may be along the lines of maybe a Sean Deitch. But I think Everton do need to be realistic and look a bit bigger than that and look at the next 18 months, regardless if they go uh, go down or not. And I think Marco Bielsa is, would be the right man to, to build on that. Um, we've seen what he done at Leeds, building for the Championship and getting into the Premier League. We and the foundations were there. I think Everton do need to do need to just start for basics. Um, sorry, start for the beginning. Go back to basics, and I think Marco Bielsa would do that. And if we talk about why like, the the instability, the the disconnect between the fans and the board, we we know how how likable and how inspiring Bielsa can be to a to, to a big club like Leeds, and I think he'd maybe get that same reaction for Everton. Question is for me, will he want to take it? Yeah, no, definitely, and and, and rumours today that he, he would be interested, but maybe at the start of the season, which throws up an, another problem. Graham, who would be your pick for Everton? I think if they go Bielsa, they, they get relegated. However, what Everton do need to look at is if they do get relegated, then it's about managers that have done it in the Championship. So then, yes, of course, Bielsa did it with Leeds in the Championship. Um, if I'm an Everton fan, then I'm just looking at um, trying to survive and build upon that. I think Sean Dyche, for me, I think what he did at Burnley, he wasn't just a manager on the pitch, but how much Burnley actually grew as a club in the what, eight, nine years he was there is incredible. Um, the budget he was working with, I think I think he would be the choice. It, it always depends where you're sitting, though, right? They're on the rail at the bottom, they're like 19th, 20th, whatever they are. If they're mid-table, if they're doing okay, then you're looking at Thomas Frank, whose next logical step is, is an Everton from Brentford. So there's loads of choices, but I think it's probably Sean Dice just now that is going to give him the best chance possible. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that, definitely. Jamie, without naming the worst uh, manager uh, out there, uh, <laughs> who, who, would, who do you think would be a, a good twist? So, I suppose, kind of going back to what the guys have said, however, I would go the opposite way. So, I don't think Bielsa is the answer. I think Bielsa has his own style. What Everton are missing right now is cohesion. They've got no relationship with the boards, with the club, the fans. It's all over the place. One key element, if you remember before Frank came in, the Duncan Ferguson took the reins for a couple of months and he galvanised. I remember the iconic image where he was running to the touchline holding one of the ball boys celebrating a goal. It's it's that kind of seed mentality that they're missing right now. And I think a Sean Dyche would, would know that and use him and bring him back to the club because he's obviously not at the club at the moment. But he also can't even speak English. That's where I think the disconnect would be. And I think, you know, he would kind of, he would have a plan, but would that connect back to the fans? Probably not. I think Daish is probably the most sensible decision. He's, as Graham said, he's done it in the championship. He would be, if you go back to Everton's successful days, it was usually, it was David Moyes. Daish is not David Moyes, but he's that kind of mould 
Whereas Bielsa, I think, as somebody said, he's probably more for if you were middle of the table, looking to make that push on, that play that exciting football. So for me, I would I would go with Dyche. <clears throat> My only worry about Dyche is I think we'll be here the same time next year, talking about the same things with Everton. I would maybe keep him up. He's more likely keeping him up, but I don't mm-hmm. see how it pushes him further forward. I don't think the how big a rebuild you need at Everton right now in in a fairly short <clears throat> space of time. I don't see that happening. I think we're just prolonging the inevitable in the next season, which I suppose it's um, if, if that's what you want, just to stay in the Premier League each year and get a new manager. Yeah. Then I suppose there are clubs that do that. It's, it's going to be an interesting one for sure, and I think they need to get something sorted before the, the transfer window closes. But but moving it on, uh, we'll go on to the Arsenal game at the weekend, <coughs> where they Man United three two at the Emirates. Um, I think for me, and again, we'll come to it to all three on this, but I think it was the best game of football I've seen this season. Um, probably, I you know, did enjoy a few at the World Cup, but in terms of, and other than Rangers games, I think it was a, it was a really good game of football. Um, Arsenal got 50 points from 19 games at the minute, and um, I don't think anyone's not won the league with a points tally like that after, you know, 19 games played. Um, so, Stan, with you, Colin, can Arsenal win the title this season? Yes, I think they can. Um, I, I think we, we we've seen how talented they are, and we've seen that they they can play well consistently. <coughs> now we're getting to the business end. I think it's doing the mentality. Um, I think that's the only question. It's you, you've said there about having that points tally. Um, more often than not, you're going to win the league, but while. We're seeing a kind of once in a generation Man City side, um, like between them and Liverpool, the last few years they've absolutely been like some of the best sides we've we've seen in English football. Man City still have the strength and depth, and they've got that winning mentality. From a Man City point of view, they absolutely will fancy their chances not to 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 slip up less than Arsenal. Um, they they're banking on Arsenal slipping up when it push comes to shove. Um. But I've seen enough for Arsenal that I think they, they, I think they can do it. Um, I don't see them slowing down anytime soon, having said all that. So I hope I'm right. I would like to see um, it be a refreshing change. Yeah, that, that's it. And a lot of things have been thrown at Arsenal this season. You know, they've had the Jesus injury after the World Cup and, and, and everyone's spoke about their, their, their squad depth. Um, but they're coming through at the minute. They've only lost one game, which was against Man United earlier in the season. So... You know, there, there has been a lot of questions and, and they've answered a lot. Graham, what's your thoughts on, on Arsenal this season? Are they are they the champions in, in elect at the minute? Yeah, I think they're looking good. Um, I said at the start of the season that typically I didn't put money on it um, in conversation. Got proof if you need me to pull it. I remember having a look, I remember having a look at uh, Arsenal's first eight games in the league and I thought, they are very, very winnable. And I thought if Arsenal do get off to that that solid start that they did, then kind of momentum belief then takes over. Whereas I think if they'd had maybe a different, tougher start to the league, I honestly am sure whether they would be where they are. And Gertet is a brilliant coach and they've done well to give him that time. I think what will catch Arsenal out potentially is just the squad depth. I know you've mentioned Jesus. I think it's been pretty impressive how they've dealt with it so far, not having him. But I do think a couple of injuries could derail them. I know they brought that uh, Polish defender in and Trossard. I think they're going to pay for missing out on um, Mudrik. Mudrik. To be honest with you, I, I really do. Uh, 
I think he's the king that he's an elite, probably the best up and coming youngster in the world. And they've missed out on getting him. And I think that's what takes them to the next level as well, where it goes from battling to win this league to potentially pulling away for, for the teams below, especially with Man City kind of being mere mortal this season so far. So I think they absolutely can do it. I do think they might need a wee bit of luck uh, in the running. And we, the thing with the World Cup, what it's done is, even though we're, we're pushing the end of January here, we're just at the halfway stage, whereas we feel like we should be kind of at that 24-25 game mark. We're not. We've just passed halfway. So I do think they can win it. Um, I love Mikel Arteta, so I would like to see them do it, I guess. Uh, even though yeah, I'm, I'm neutral when it comes to the Premier League, to be honest, but I would like to see him do it because I think he's a top coach. Uh, but yeah, as I say, I think they just need a wee bit of luck as well. Yeah, no, I think the midfield uh, for me, they've been really fortunate that they've, they've not missed. You know, Partey and Jacko played pretty much every game. I think if one of them was to go out for a while, I do think they'd struggle. And I think them getting a midfielder this window will be will be huge. And, um, you know, the, the sign in the Trossard, though, I think that's a really good, really good buyer. To be fair, I don't see him being a starter, but I think he'll, you know, to come on and make an impact. Jamie, um, just on Arsenal then, as well as Arteta, um, you know, obviously ex-Rangers player, so probably a little bit biased, but the the Amazon documentary that was out last year, I think he come across really well. There was a couple of dodgy team talks in there, don't get me wrong, but I thought he did really come across well. And, um, you know, I'm I'm the same as Graham. I I really like him. I'd like to see him go on to win the league with Arsenal. I know, obviously, you wouldn't, but... And they, they, again, I, I feel like a lot of people are not sort of taking them seriously um, of late, but that points tally could be. Do, do, do you know what it is, right? So you, you kind of mentioned at the beginning, that point tally has only been equaled by four of the teams ever in the Premier League at this stage, so they're on course. The one thing I think kind of Colin said is that if, if you were to say there's another team that can come in and do like a 10 to 15 game win streak, it's, it's like Man City. You've got to remember as well is that Arsenal still have to play Man City twice. So that five-point gap they have, theoretically, could be over within two. And the two games are spaced out, don't get me wrong. I think there's one in February and I think the yes, next one's the April. That April one could be, that could be the title decider in real. Because if City were to put a set, of, a set of results together, then it kind of evens them out. Kind of what I what I am more surprised at is just the way the team is it's bit purring. Like Odegaard at the weekend was just sensational. Some of the passing he was doing, and you forget how young he actually is. Saka, Saka's immense. Like he would literally walk into ninety nine percent of the teams in the Premier League at the moment. And again, he's twenty one years old. Martin Ellen on the other side. The age of the squad is what's so surprising. When Liverpool won it, you had established players that were 27, 28, 29 that were making it look so good. These are 22, 23-year-olds. Saliba at the back, like he's been immense. Um, that's what's been that's probably what's been the biggest surprise. That probably represents Arteta. He's one of the youngest managers in the in, in the league as well. But he's had one of the best teachers in, in Pep. You know, he, he's, he's kind of earned his badges whilst working for Pep, so he knows how to deal with these. I agree. I wasn't I wasn't too blown away with the Amazon documentary. I thought there was, it, it, it painted a lot of the good side of the conversations as opposed to we'd ever seen some of the stuff where it was very difficult and how he handled that. But what you did see is how he, how he galvanises the team together. Um, I, I remember there was that one dodgy team talking about the light bulb. Like, 
absolutely mental, but I get the understanding of it. And, and it's kind of mad how, how they've actually kept on from them and, and kind of they, they look like a well-joiled, well-joiled team. You look at Liverpool right now, Liverpool don't look gelled. Look at Man City right now, they don't look gelled. Cancelo can't get in the game. People are talking about, should they drop Haaland? I mean, what the hell? Tom dropping Haaland and he always scores a hat-trick. People like Foden can't get a game. Arsenal, you can name their front for their first 11 right now. And they're all performing. Zinchenko's just came back in. Eddie Nketi has obviously stepped in for Jesus. He's probably scored about the same goals as what Jesus has now. So again, they're looking really good. The strength and depth is probably where if Party was to get injured, for example, that I think the backup is uh, El Neni. It's probably not the same quality. Jack is playing at his skin compared to previous seasons. So they do look they do look a well-oiled team. They do look as though they're all on the same page. And I think that just comes from Arteta. He's, he's, even when people are giving him stick for running up and down the sidelines, kind of getting involved, it's because he's actually passionate. He feels part of the team. Um, I kind of get that and I don't mind it. And truth be honest, I wouldn't mind seeing Arsenal win it. That's, that's an interesting one, Matt. I think it's interesting what you're saying about um, Arteta in the documentary not handling the difficult things. I think it's obvious when you look at the Aubameyang situation, um, and how he dealt with that, it's probably the toughest situation you could come into, actually, and, and how he dealt with that, and, and definitely put club, team before player. Yeah, I think that probably set the tone for Arsenal and his coaching style there, and probably respect within the squad, and I think that's probably helped. And when, we yeah. talk about the, when we talk about that squad depth as well, just thinking about, um, they do have Zinchenko there, who plays... As far as I thought he did, he played predominantly centre-mid when it comes to Ukraine, and he looks solid in there. So I do think even if they if they do run out of gas in the middle of the park, a couple of injuries, he can slot into this, the centre of the park as well, and, and they've obviously mm-hmm. got a decent backup. Um, and, well, and they've, back. actually got, they've actually got that young lad, you back, Emil Smith-Rowe. He's a cracking player. He's, he's coming back from injury, so he could probably go back into the midfield if he's fit enough. It's, it's the recruitment for Arsenal. We're just talking about Everton and how long they've got it. But Arsenal's recruitment has been tip-top and I think that's why they're getting the, the rewards at the minute. And as you said, the ages yeah. of their players, they could, you know, if they keep that team together and they keep adding the quality, they could, you know, be, you know, break, yeah. break up that and, and be dominant for a few years. The, the thing is with Arsenal, uh, what you're saying about recruitment, I do agree with, but there has been, a, there has been patience there because... I think when we look at Odegaard, he's club captain now, but I think when he originally came on loan, went back to Madrid, mm-hmm. like he wasn't setting he wasn't setting the Premier League on fire, so no. to speak, as he maybe is now. And there's maybe a couple of players like that, Arsenal, who have had a bit of time. Um, Zach has come back from looking like he was going to get chased out of the club. is pretty unbelievable as well from, mm-hmm. from where he came from. And, and now, I mean, where they'd be without him, if you look at, if you look at the fight on the pitch against him, um, Tottenham well, that night he was I mean he was right in amongst as you'd expect yeah. him to be but he's so vital to them Just that leads us nicely on to uh, Man City um, and the thing is I've said all season Man City will go on a run Man City will go on a run mm-hmm. I haven't really The Jew one They, they are Jew <laughs> and at, at this, this stage of the season is when they kick into gear and they really you know hit hit them. Haaland now, that's his fourth hat-trick um, in, the, in the Premier League season. I think the, the record's five. 
which was Alan Shearer back in 95, 96 for Blackburn. Um, so I, I'm sure it will overtake that. Colin, um, let's just start with Haaland. Um, we knew they was getting a top, top player, but 25 goals in 19 games. And I think he started 17 of them games. What is he going to finish on at the end of the season, goal-wise? It's going to, it's going to be a record that will be held for years to come. Honestly, there's, the, the, the boy's frightening. There's no anything we can say about Haaland that's not been said time and time again on any um, any football podcast or any sports coverage television station or not even just this year, but when it was at Dortmund as well. I mean, this is that's a scary thing. It snows if he came and blows away. We, this is exactly what we were expecting. Um, and that the Hattricks, he's drawn a, he's drawn a break Shearer's record for Hattricks. Um, it'll be uh, it'll be a, it'll be a frightening goal tally. Um, the frightening thing is he's he's only twenty two year old. Um, you'd like to think that he's if he goes the same as most players, he's a good three four years away for his peak at least. Um, and I, I think with, with Man City, you'll probably come on there. Um, I know Man City are due a run. Um, they definitely will go on one. Um, whether that's good enough, we'll wait and see. But I think we are maybe starting to see the end of Pep's cycle with like this kind of core group of players. As long as so long you can dominate, really. Um, I, I think I, I think Haaland has really sparked energy into the team as well. Um, he's that focal point that they never really had last season, and just that that new blood, that new talisman um, to try and re-energise it. I think he's helped the rest of the team a lot. Yeah, I agree. And it, they've changed it up a little bit with, with him in the team, which at times I don't think in certain games it, it hasn't helped. But, you know, you see, when you see him finishing inside that six-yard box as he has, you know, a, a, anything in the world will want him in there. Graham, what's your thoughts on not just Haaland, but, but Man City this season? Are they going to go on that run that sort of everyone's waiting for? I don't, I honestly don't know. Um I really don't know if they will. What I could see happening is typically, like uh, we've seen a few times over the years, the most recent Liverpool in the EPL is where they'll have a relatively poor season um, in the English Premier League, but might finally win the might finally Champions win the League. Champions League. So um, <laughs> that's what we might see. It's funny when you look at some of the comments in the media with Holland. Um, I've seen some ex-footballers say that, oh, Man City, they might have him up front with his goals, but they don't play as well with him. Is that kind of... Um, uh, is that point of their attack, so to speak, which is obviously a load of crap. He's going to bang in 40 goals. I mean, you just look at the... It's that stat that took him eight games, eight games to score three hat-tricks, um, which when you look at the top five... I had to I had to go back and check this. When you look at who the who the who held the last record for that was Michael Owen. It took him forty eight games to score three hat tricks. I mean, it's ridiculous. It is absolutely mental. Yeah, I completely agree that he's going to break all the records. Um, and if he isn't, I mean, if he isn't the English Premier League, then for for a prolonged period of time, which I would imagine he probably will be, then I would I would have thought he'll he'll be chasing Alan Shearer down for sure. Yeah, and 12 Premier League hat-tricks um, is the record Aguero's got at all-time. 
um, he could break that in, in two seasons, the way he's going. So, uh, absolutely incredible. Jamie, Man City, um, I think, I, I know what Graham's saying, obviously, you know, to state the obvious, Haaland yeah. in there is a no-brainer, but I watched them the other week um, and I do think that their front three isn't as fluid with Mahrez and I think Foden was, or Greedish was at, they stay more wider when Haaland's there, but yeah. if he's not getting the service and they need sort of a plan B, um, they're not finding that at the moment. Um, but saying that, they've still got the players like De Bruyne, you know, who hasn't really, after the World Cup and the whole Belgium scenario, hasn't really got, got going, but they've just got players that can just turn it on. And I, yeah. for me, I, I think they will they will win the league. I think I think the big, back to last year, last year they had goals all over the team. I think with this year, they have it, that the focus is everything's went through Highland, or they're trying so hard to get Highland on, onto the ball. Um, and 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 it's only now that Maris is, as you said, just starting to kick into gear. And it's only because Phil Foden's not getting the game. But yeah, Phil Foden was part of the team that scored the, the double hat trick against Man United only a few weeks ago before the World Cup started. So it's like Pep's, they, they love to say Pep roulette. You know, you never know which, which front three he's going to start with. However, I think the biggest difference is his midfield. Rodri's been a bit of rock. But Gundogan's not chipping in with as many goals this time. Bernardo Silva, like last season, they I think they finished just short of maybe about nine or eight goals each. They're nowhere near that at the moment. And then you go back to last season as well, Cancelo was chipping in with, I think he had the second highest assists for a defender in the league. He's not even getting a game at the moment. They're playing with, they've got a new player in Akanji. Ruben Diaz is out injured. Laporte is injured. I think the biggest thing is that they conceded so many goals this year compared to previous seasons. And I think a lot of focus is on that. They then chuck in the Haaland and what comments, as Graham was saying, people are making comments saying they don't play the same way. No, they don't because they're playing with a natural number nine as opposed to midfielders on the wings trying to dip in. So there is a different emphasis. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. But I would rather have a 40-goal season striker than three 10 to 15 goal wingers if that makes sense that there's something there's something about that that guarantees you know you're going to get those goals not where are they coming from I think the best example of that was the one at the weekend Haaland he did nothing for the first 10-15 minutes of the game but the moment De Bruyne chipped in a ball from the edge of the box he was up like a whippet before the defender could even jump and he headed it in that's 
that's the big difference. They couldn't score goals like that in previous seasons. Even Aguero didn't score goals like that. You think of Aguero's goals, it's he comes in, cuts on the right-hand foot or the left-hand foot and curls it into the top. The ticky-tacky football's probably not what's happening right now. So therefore, Haaland's obviously been the focal point. He's an absolute machine. Like, I remember watching him. <laughs> Interestingly, not that it was part of the deal, but I remember Liverpool um, got battered while well, we played a Champions League game against Red Bull Salzburg. And I think it finished something like 5-3. Um, and Taku Minamanu scored two goals and Haaland got one. Liverpool spent £7 million on Taku Minamanu and Haaland went on to Dortmund. And you just think... How close were we to even making a decision of whether it was Taku or whether it was Haaland? Because obviously it might have been a difference, but he's an enigma. For, for, for the goals he scored for his age, it's absolutely frightening. Um, you're talking Mbappe numbers, you know, for his age category. The one thing I would say is that I don't see him staying in the Premier League longer than two seasons. He's obviously got this plan of going around all the top leagues in Europe and making his mark. And I think when they talked about him coming to Manchester City, there was already talked about Real Madrid will be his next goal, will be his next. So I don't see him being there longer than two, maybe three years tops. But I think it's going to be massively exciting watching him. That pains me to say that three years. It is, it is. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they, they end up, you know, finishing the second half of the season. Colin, on to our next next club I want to I want to come on to it is Newcastle. Um I think I think that for me in the sort of one surprise packages um this season in terms of them where they are third at the moment. Um it, you know bro- broke into that that top four. Eddie Howe's done an, an incredible job there. Um he was a manager that I wasn't too sure and I've got to be honest, I thought he'd, he'd done well at Bournemouth, but you know obviously heavily linked with a, with the other uh, job in Glasgow and we thought he was going to take that and I'm kind of glad he didn't to be honest because I think he's, he's done he's signings at, at Newcastle again the recruitment's been spot on um, Nick Pope last night in the played in the Carling Cup and that's 10 clean sheets in a row so they're, they're managing to score goals but keep clean sheets at, at the other end so will you know can they keep this up because uh, you know squad depth is something that I don't think they've got um, but you know, imagine if Newcastle get in the Champions League. And to be honest, it's a fan base that that, that deserves success. They've been through a lot, as we know, with, with Mike Ashley. Yeah, um, I'm, I'll be honest. I'm really surprised how Eddie Howe's done. Um, at, I, I thought he was just going to be in for the first season, maybe steadying them along mid table, and then they were. Um, I really look elsewhere. Um, I actually think Newcastle maybe beyond the um, beyond the expectations of where they would have been. Um, I, I think this season they would have been aiming for maybe top six, um, getting into maybe Europa League. Um, I, I think the way they're trying to go about it, and they're not just flinging money at it um, straight away to try and win the league in the first season. They recognise they need to build a squad, um, and I think the long term plan, in my eyes, always would have been. Eddie Howe can maybe build those foundations and maybe a top-tier coach like your Conte or Ancelotti or whoever will maybe come in. Um, but I, I think um, the board will be very surprised with Eddie Howe as well. I think what what he's done um, this season, which I didn't always see um, at Bournemouth, um, like he's, he is a good tactician. I, I never really seen him as that. I always thought he was very much a... Um, and neat and tidy, he can set teams up well and to take uh, take points off the teams around them. Um, never really got 
any results against the bigger teams. But you can see the tweaks he's making each game, home and away. Um, I actually think he's grown and developing as a coach as well. So I actually think that there might be legs for him to be there for maybe the next next year or two as well. Um, I think with the inconsistency of the rest of the top six, a la um, Man U, Spurs, Brighton, you, you wonder how long the Brighton can continue this uh, crest wave that they're on. Um, obviously, Liverpool and Chelsea are... You know they'll be they'll be battling Everton for um, 17th place soon enough. Um, because of the inconsistency, I think they actually might sneak top four. Um, that's not to say that they're going to go from now to the end of the season unbeaten, but I think they actually might do enough. If not, they're definitely going to be in top six in my eyes. Yeah, I agree. I, I, th- I think top four might be a little bit too far, but I can see him definitely getting Europe. Graham, what's been you've been really impressed with with Newcastle this season? Have they been a, a surprise package for you? Yeah, um, I certainly didn't expect them to be this high up the table this soon and as consistent as they have been with some really solid results. I think that is probably mostly down to their recruitment, and it it just um, it just shows you that. Like, for example, when we talked about Everton earlier, they've spent £600 million since Montreal arrived. Now, um, that is mega money. Obviously, these new owners at Newcastle have that, but as Colin says, yes, okay, they're spending it, but I guess they're not throwing it about. Like, for example, when uh, Man City uh, first... When it happened with Man City at first, or the first time Abramovich came in, or even Todd Bowley, to be honest, what Chelsea are doing is insane, but the recruitment has been good. To be honest, I wasn't sure when they when they um, spunked 30 million on Chris Wood. I thought, right, here we go. Um, but I think other than that, the rest of their transfers have been good. They've built a solid spine in their team, and yeah, okay, the, the squad depth isn't there, but I do feel like they are going to build a club rather than just shoot like this short-term quick success um, like what we've seen with Man City where the, the stadium has grown over years, they've got their training over the road where the women's team's uh, stadium etc. Like I do see Newcastle going down this route of just building a club over years and I think it's going to leave a dynasty as such. So yeah, it's definitely exciting times and I think I think it's likely by the looks it will maybe see a Newcastle Man U League Cup final and if they can win that then yeah obviously that's dreamland for the Newcastle fans so yeah so far so good and as I say it's just the, the recruitment that's probably the most um, impressive aspect for me. No definitely and, and obviously financial fair play has come into it a little bit as you say maybe with uh, years ago when that wasn't you know as, as as tight as it is now you would see Newcastle go and spend a, a lot more money but um, I think Eddie Howby in there has been been you know, big on that as well. I think he's been, he knows again, knows how he wants to play and knows what players he wants, um, which, you know, you know, is big for him. And obviously, I think he's broke the record now for for an English manager as well, going um, unbeaten in the season, um, which, you know, is, is good for good for him. Jamie, how impressed have you been with, with Newcastle this season? Yeah, I think, I think they've pretty much blown away um, everybody's expectations, even their own. Um, what I'm mostly impressed with is, as you said, is Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe was probably brought in because if you've got to remember when they took over and, and Eddie was brought in, they were, I think they were second bottom or they were rock bottom of the Premier League and favourites to go down and he completely turned it round. That was probably his job. 
not what he's actually doing now. And and that's probably what Colin says is actually he's actually growing now. Now he's got that higher level of player. He's actually growing in his own coaching abilities. That means that he's actually getting so much more from it. It's super impressive what he's done. And I some of the signings that they did they did buy. Um for, for for every thirty million Chris Wood, they spent thirteen million on Dan Bunn, who's been an absolute stalwart for them. Um they, I'm very impressed with the other central defender that they brought in, Sven Botman. Like this this line was touted for Milan, Liverpool, Manchester, everybody was looking at this. This kid um from Lille. He just won the league with Lille. Um and they brought him in like completely under the radar. Um and he's been absolutely brilliant this season. Bruno Gomedes as well. He's always been he's always been a, a, a flary player. But what he's actually brought to that midfield is absolutely second to none. We're talking about Jacques earlier. Bruno Gomedes is doing exactly the same. What I'm probably more impressed with, and it's easy to say this, is the, the, the sudden change in people like Joe Linton, Almoron, like even Sean Longstaff. Like the guy couldn't get a game. No, not many people know about Sean Longstaff, but he's been ever present this season. Um, and I think people like Trippier is just that added level of quality that they've needed. For me, the best signing that they've done is Nick Pope. Like, when he was at Burnley, everybody was always talking about him having to move to a bigger club, to, you know, to be one, to become England's number one, I feel like. Moving to Newcastle would probably come at the right time for him. And his numbers this season are sensational. Um, she said, I think it was 10 clean sheets in a row, 13 clean sheets already in the season. That's like he destroying records there, you know, um, and I think that's been that's been the biggest turnaround is actually how how solid they look. Like nobody wants to go to St James's Park for a game right now. I mean, when was the last time you can say that? Do you know what I mean? And you always, you know, you could always say, well, it's always going to be the fans, the atmosphere. Nobody wants to go to St James's Park right now and play because the the turning team's over. The change, the change at Newcastle, the feelings of, of obviously that takeover is it's a club that was broken and now it's a club that's all going one way. And I think that's that's really big for, for Newcastle. And, and, and it, as you said, it's you know it's a dangerous place for anyone going there. Now. A lot of teams are not gonna gonna fancy it, and um, you know they could be the sort of dark horses going in, in, into fourth fourth place this season. Uh, Colin, let's move it on then to Spurs. Uh, Harry Kane has equaled Jimmy Greaves' his record, Spurs' record um, on Monday night with a 1-0 win over Fulham. Um, I really don't enjoy really watching Spurs, um, to be honest. I know it's Conti's style of play. Maybe, again, that's a, a little bit harsh. But actually, again, we're talking about you know uh, midfields quite a bit there with Man City, uh, even Newcastle. Tottenham's midfield is, for me, is not great. That is That is an area that needs, you know, Big, big investment in, in the next few windows. But I think the big question is, will Harry Kane and will Conte be there um, next season? Because uh, there's there's a lot of rumours going around both. But um, just on Harry Kane as well, we spoke about Haaland, um, but Harry Kane's you know record and, and, and his finishing is, is right up there as well. This is just another... Um... Another parameter in the great what if question around Harry Kane. Um, what if he did move to a Man City, a Liverpool? Um, what if he went abroad? How how would they do in a game of Shows Your Medals? Because he's he's not going to do very well um, compared to most when he stays at Spurs. But no, he's a fantastic striker. Um, and uh, I I think if we're for being 
being honest, they probably does deserve to like maybe hold um, some sort of record as well, given the the services he's given to he Spurs and the Premier League, um, and just how consistent he's been. But again, it's um, back to that. Would he have how many levels could he have taken it up um, if he moved elsewhere? Um, on Spurs himself, yeah, you're right. Um, this is an R team who they need to invest in again, and they need to invest sensibly. It can't just be throwing money um, at the the next hot topic. I, I think there has to be a clear strategy, and we've not had that in, in Spurs for a long, long time. Having said that, I'm quite disappointed. I've always really, I've always really liked Conte. Um, I think he's obviously he's done very well with money, but I think he's always been able to harness the, the best out of the team that he's got and really take maybe good players up that level to excellent, maybe average players up to your squad fellas who can maybe contribute and I don't know if this is just maybe one of the wins that is not clicking. He doesn't seem to be as bought in um as as he as we have seen him in past at other clubs. Um I don't know if it's just maybe a, a lack of cohesion between him and the board but I think Harry Kane will be there. I think um, if it was really a goal, it would have been a long time ago. Um, I can't see Conte being there next season, if I'm being honest. I think I think you make a really good point there about about Conte. To be honest, because I, I I don't think I don't get the feeling he's all in at, at Spurs. I think this was always a short term thing for him, and I think that's been a a big big problem. Uh, Graham, what's your thoughts on 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 Spurs at the minute? Obviously, Conte staying and and also Harry Kane next season. Is it a time for him to go to a you know, the, the only club really I can see him going to in England is Man United. He said he wants to break the records in England and he wants to stay in England uh, a few seasons ago. But there's no guarantees he'll win the league there either. So it's a real, it's a real sticky one for him this summer. Kane doesn't go to another English Premier League club, I don't think. Um, not because, not so much through lack of want, but I just don't see any of the bigger clubs in England paying that money just now, obviously, wage-wise. I'm not sure what he's got left in his contract. One of you guys might know it. I don't know if it's maybe a couple of years at the end of this. Um, so if somebody, I mean, the amount of money Tottenham are looking for is ludicrous. Probably rightfully so. Let's let's face it, Kane is unbelievable. When Colin says shows your medals, I totally get that and I totally agree. I think the decision Kane's going to have is if one of the foreign giant comes in for him, whether he wants medals or whether he wants that legacy in England. He's about 60 goals behind Shearer just now in the Premier League. Now, if he stays in the Premier League, he breaks that and there's your legacy. Now, I don't think you necessarily need a shit ton of medals to have that. When you look at Alan Shearer's career himself, other than the Premier League, again, I can be held wrong. I'm not sure what, he, what else he actually won other than the Premier League with Blackburn. So, But Shearer's Lauded is one of the best that, that's ever played in England, probably a hero to so many, and again, because he was that good. So Kane's going to have that decision to make whether he wants that legacy, he wants to overtake Shearer, or likely go abroad and, yeah, add a few trophies to his cabinet. So I think that's more likely than he'll stay in England to a man you Chelsea, Man City, blah, blah, blah. I just don't see them paying that money for him, unless what Jamie's saying Maybe Holland leaves Man City in the next season or two. Maybe then, but then is is he too old? So who knows? I really want him to stay purely because I'd like to see him break the uh, Shearer's record because I think he is absolutely world class. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I, I would like to see him break it as well. And I think he's going to be, you know, a generational talent. But I would like him to see him win something um, as well. I, I agree what you're saying about Shearer and his legacy's left. But I think someone that good, and that's it, it would be a shame for him not to to win something. Jamie, what's your thoughts on, on, on obviously, not just Kane, but, but Conti as well? Uh, do you see him there next season? Um, I'm actually going to be a bit decisive. Um, so straight away, Conti's not there next season, not in my opinion. Conti's contract's up at the end of the season um, and there's a bit of a standoff because Daniel Levy's wanting assurances that Conti's going to be there, therefore he'll give him the money to go and spend. Apparently Conti's not giving him those reassurances, so therefore that's where the stalemate is in terms of the squad development. I don't believe Conti stays there next season and I think they have to start this whole process all over again. Um, the, 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 the issue with Kane is... I agree he doesn't go to another English team. He really doesn't. He's, he's too far gone now with, with Tottenham. His opportunity to leave was two years ago when Man U and Man City, well, Man City apparently were looking. However, Daniel Levy wanted something like £150 million. It wasn't going to happen. They weren't going to pay that kind of money for an English player just because of that. But two years later, he's coming up for 31 that 150 mil deal is no longer there. Nobody's going to pay that kind of money. But Daniel Levy's probably still going to want that kind of money. So for me, he ends up staying at Tottenham because nobody's going to have, nobody's going to want to pay that kind of money. Um, for the record, I don't think he gets Shearer's record. Um, he, as I said, he's coming up for 31. What did you give me? 60 goals off Shearer's record. He's not hit 20 goals a season for something like three seasons. So in order for him to do that over the next three or four, you're talking, he's going to have to hit 20 goals a season. Does he do that? And then, shall we say, a downward side, downward sliding Tottenham? You know, um, Tottenham's peak was probably about two years ago with for fluent attacking football where the front three were absolutely electric. They're not playing like that right now. Harry Kane's actually, as a result of that, having to come more deeper in midfield to pick up the ball. So he's not even normally a traditional number nine now. You look at his goal on, um, I think it was Monday Night Football against Fulham, wasn't he in the box? He got the ball like at the edge of the 18-yard box, turned the player and, and took it from outside the box. He gets a brickload of goals, but he probably doesn't do it consistently enough to probably start talking about smashing records. I think he's probably... He'd have to play like like Ronaldo does up until he's about 36. But even then, he's not. I mean, is he still going to be banging him in that kind of level at that age? I don't know. I just think I think his opportunity to leave was two years ago when City were really stiffing about him. Um, and I think because of the way that they play with Kane, limits Tottenham right now. Uh, Hungman's son, who was arguably one of the most exciting players in the league, is an absolute shadow of himself. I've got a lot of, I like a lot of Kulisevsky. I think he's very forward. He's very, very attacking. He's direct play. He's definitely a Conte player, but he's been injured and he's only just came back. So again, it's like Spurs are having to restart again. And I think it was amazing. I think you said yourself, the, the midfield is just slow. Hoiberg, Beranko. They're not exciting, dynamic midfielders. They remind me of Jorginho and Kovacic at Chelsea, like just the anchorman. Um, so so they are really struggling with the transition. Um, I think I've seen today that they're very close to signing another right-back. They've got like four. Is that... I don't get that. Um Pedro Porro, his name is. He's very attacking wing-back, and apparently this is who Conte wanted. But you've got, I mean, arguably... 
quality is going to be different. But you've got Matt Doherty. They just spent a brickload on Jed Spence. Um, they, they, you know, they have defenders. So I don't really get the, the the thought process there. And I think I think Tottenham are going to be very stuck. And I think they might miss out in the top six this season. And that'll be Conte gone. In comes a new manager, and then they start all over again. We Conte. Um, obviously, there was a lot of rumours um, a couple of years ago when Newcastle had to take over that they they were after him. Um, he was one of the top names. I wonder if he's hedging his bets that um, they might come in for him. Then, uh, so he's also he's not been great at Spurs, but he's still a very revered coach, and you still you still class him in that elite elite bracket um, based on what he's achieved. And I'd be interested to see. Do Newcastle or the likes of Newcastle or maybe Brighton stick a twist um, with what they've got? Rightly or wrongly, everybody sees Eddie Howe having limitations, which is probably probably is a bit unfair because he is still a young coach. Although he's been here for about 40 years in the managerial game, he's still only 45, but I think there's this just perception that he, he does have a glass ceiling. I think it'd be interesting to see does the Newcastle maybe aye, change it up a bit and go with Courtney if he does leave in the summer? That's going to be the... Go on, Jerry, when you got it. Back that up. Um, I think the biggest change will be if, if Newcastle cha- qualify for the Champions League. If they qualify for the Champions League, they'll be able to spend a brickload more money. They That means... Do they then change the strategy and bring in a higher level of tier? Because if you think about it, what they've been bringing is your Bruno Gomez, your Alexander Isaks, you know, that one that kind of pushes them on. For Champions League, they need another push on. They'll need a higher level of quality. So do we then see an influx of Angel de Maria's trying to pay out the last seasons of the careers, you know, um, because just because of the, in the Champions League? And I think that comes, that's a, the same question for the manager. If they do qualify in the Champions League, do they trust Eddie Howe to take him into the... If not, they could end up with somebody like a Conte or a bloody Jose Mourinho or something like that. And again, you know, coming back to Newcastle, that's where it's going to be interesting to see. They're going to have a little slide with, with Eddie Howe. It's going to be, that you know, but again, you know, with football, especially Premier League, who knows? The last sort of talking point I want to I want to go to before we, we finish up, lads, is the Liverpool and Chelsea. Um, not the game, because there weren't too much going on there Saturday, but just... Their positions of, of both of these these clubs at the minute, ninth and tenth, they're both on the same points. I think uh, Liverpool are ahead on goal difference. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and um, but Chelsea have obviously have had the the change of, of manager in, in Graham Potter, and, and things haven't looked um, too too good for him at the minute. Um, you know, I think he's lost eight games as Chelsea manager, and they've spent 170 million in this transfer window already on six players, and apparently they want to get two more in. Um, they're, they're kind of cheating financial fair play a little bit by giving out these seven and a half, eight year contracts, which is just utter madness. But one player that they have signed for 100 million is, is Mudrick. Uh, Colin, um, I'm not sure if you see much of him at the weekend, but um, what was your, uh, you know, he looks so sharp. And I think, you know, as, as Graham alluded to earlier, it's going to be one that Arsenal will regret not getting. He's a name that's popped up um, just for. The, the continent uh, over the last couple of years, obviously, what he was doing at the Nest, and he, he, he does sound a really exciting, exciting player. Um, and I think eventually he will do really well in the Premier League. Um, 
probably similar to what we were talking about with Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard, sorry, when he got his track at Chelsea. For Graham Potter, I, I think he's a, I think he's a really good manager, um, and I do think he's he could potentially have a a long successful career in the Premier League. But I think this might just be the wrong, maybe the right job at the wrong time. Um, well, I think you need. Having said that, you need to have a certain type of character to go and manage Chelsea because we were talking about Everton um, earlier as well. Chelsea are the ultimate basket case club. They're absolutely yo yo. They're just an absolute merry go round. The players and managers, and it's just fucking bonkers. Um, the last 10 years, um, we, and the thing is, we mixed um, degrees of success as well. But uh, we agree on Paul. I don't think he's the man to, I don't think he quite has. That knack of managing the um, the prima donnas in uh, the Premier League um, in the top tier of the Premier League, which you might know have got Brighton, um, is not to say that he doesn't move on elsewhere. Maybe go get another mid-table job. Maybe go to a, a club like Wolves or something, build them up a bit. Then in a few years' time, have another crack at a top club. Um, Chelsea, I, I don't really see. Anyway, we we Potter there, um, but Mudrich, I think, under the right manager, um, you always have a platform to build at Chelsea. It's just um, it's a bit of roulette how how much time you're going to get. So I think that's um, this season's a write off. Don't really see them getting top six if I'm being honest. And I we just need they just need to look ahead to the summer. If it was me, um, I'd be looking to get somebody in now or at least start putting the feelers out because I know a lot of the, the top tier coaches will wait to the pre-season. They don't really want to see out an unsuccessful season under an old regime. Liverpool's a different case. Um, I think it's just I kind of spoke about Man City at the, at the start saying about maybe Guardiola coming to the end of the cycle. I think this is maybe just another end of the cycle for Klopp, but I think with Klopp, you've seen him rebuild and rebuild again and maybe add. Um, so I think um, Klopp, he, I think he might pull it back and maybe get top six um, and then it's just another rebuild in the summer, but I think Liverpool have a better strategy and a better longer term plan. Um, so I'm not as concerned for them. Um uh, and I'm not just saying that because Jamie's on the pod. No, I think you make a really good point. I'm interested you say about Potter, though. Um, I, I think, you know, I agree in terms of I don't think that he was the right choice. Um, I think the, the, the thing about Potter is he's shown how good he is with his recruitment at Brighton on a budget. But Chelsea, look at the minute, to me, unless he's going to get these players, it looks like, you know, above picking players and he's just going to coach. And I just don't think that will suit uh, Graham Potter. Um Graham, come coming to you on just touching on Chelsea first, and then we'll touch on Liverpool as well. But do you think it's a bit harsh to be questioning Potter? You know, he's only just in the door. Obviously, Chelsea with the new owners is a big change. There's a big. There's going to be a big change at Chelsea. Do you think he deserves? You know, at least obviously to the end of the season and the start of next season. Absolutely. To be honest, before this transfer window started, um, I really thought you know Potter needs to be given the. the the kind of time that maybe Arteta got at Arsenal, when you mentioned the amount of losses he's had, I think there was a, there was a point where Arteta at Arsenal where he'd lost something stupid, like, I could be wrong, it was something like he lost seven and drew two in nine games or something like that, it was that sort of run, and everyone was like, surely that's it, writing's on the wall. I think Paul, before the window, I would have given him all, the, all that time, I think he's a really good coach, and 
I thought that was what the new owner had kind of looked at. Maybe Chelsea were going a bit of a different direction. And then, boom, January transfer window hits, and they've just opened that wallet, man, and went absolutely nuts. Um, it's always fun to watch, don't get me wrong, but I don't think Potter's going to... It's, it's having that specific manager in place when you're dealing with a dressing room of... Massive personalities, high-paid players, guys that have came in for triple-figure sums. Then you've got a dressing room of players the same that are already pre-existing at the club, then coming back from injuries. I just don't see how that dressing room doesn't become unsettled, so to speak, um, when they're already not performing well. And I think it takes a specific elite manager, somebody like, for example, Thomas Dechelle, um, to actually control that sort of situation. And when you look at when you look at the way they're now going, I don't get why they sacked Tuchel. Whereas if they were going a different direction, then yeah, bring in Potter. Right? So it's a weird one. I just don't get it. There's a disconnect with this owner from the approach they're taking the transfer market to the coach they brought in. I do th- absolutely think Paul's an excellent coach and sadly, I think the writing's going to be in the wall for him at some point. When it comes to Liverpool, I'm actually looking at them and I'm thinking I'm I'm seeing a turn in the next seven, eight games. I think they're going to go on a run when you mentioned a run earlier. Klopp always mentions about the schedule in England and the the poorly ran schedule, etc. You look at Liverpool, they've got seven Premier League games in 49 days, I believe it is. Now, that is a lot of time for them to work on the training pitch. Liverpool have also got quite an extensive injury list. I would actually really expect to see them start to turn that around this season. Whether they whether they turn that enough to get into the top four, that's another question. But I really think these next kind of seven, eight games for Liverpool, they could go in a wee run um, and kind of get back to what we've expected from I like some of their signings. Obviously, we saw Cody uh, Hackpo earlier in the season. I think he's a good player. Obviously, we kept him quiet. Um, however, whether other Premier League teams are going to be able to, I'm not sure. I think he looks good. He looked good at the World Cup. I think he'll be a really good signing. So, yeah, I think Liverpool are on the up for sure. I think they will turn it around. Sadly for Potter, I think the writing's on the wall um, for him. No, I think, I think you make some really good points there. And yeah, I agree absolutely. To sack Tuchel for me was a was a big strange one because I think he's a top, top manager. And, uh, you know, touching on Liverpool, uh, we've saved the best luck till last for you, Jamie, uh, with, with Liverpool. Um, I agree with, with Graham about Gakpo, I think for 35 million, there's, there's, and, and his age is a, it's a good signing. Um, not going to state the obvious, but losing Sadio Mane was, was I think, has not been that was absolutely huge. Um, and and yeah. replacing with Nunes, you know, I know Nunes again with his age, but but for me, Liverpool are missing a proper dynamic centre midfielder. Is that is that fair? hundred oh, percent. But I think you know, kind of, if you take Liverpool and Chelsea, they're the same points, but the total polar opposites of how they're trying to approach it. Um, the one thing that Liverpool have tried to do, and it's it's a wrong it's a wrong fault to some extent, is the, the focus has been on the attack so much. Of you know, if Salah gets injured, what do we do? If Manning gets injured, what do we do? So we went out and we recruited Lewis. We recruited Diego Jota. Nobody expected Diego Jota to hit the floor running the way he did because he, he never scored that many goals even when he was at Wolves. So it was a welcome surprise. Money 
we knew about six months before he announced he was leaving that he was he was inclined to go back to Germany. Um, he'd got friends and family that were over there. He wanted to go over there. It, it made it obvious that he was a, he was kind of cut his cycle at Liverpool was coming to an end. I was absolutely distraught. I. He's been my favourite forward in the last four to five years. I think the guy's been absolutely sensational. What I probably didn't appreciate is his level of press. His level of press at the the top end of the pitch made the whole team move up. And the fact that he's not there, it's quite evident right now that we don't have that same press. And I didn't actually think it was that important until, you know, shall we say, halfway through the season where we can see Liverpool are really flat struggling with that and that kind of goes back to what 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 you said there we're missing we're missing numbers in midfield you know I love Fabinho I think he's a brilliant central defensive midfielder however he's having a bit of an off time Thiago is sensational on the ball however he's susceptible to giving a loose pass he's susceptible to drifting in and out of games he doesn't control games like like a Steven Gerrard would and I'm not sure using that exact that analogy but that's the kind of level of player that we're missing that box-to-box midfielder that kind of takes everybody Jordan Henson has been doing that for the last couple of years he does all the graft that nobody likes he doesn't get the floor or the headlines but even he's struggling now it's, it's very rare he can play more than two games in a row without picking up some kind of injury to his back Naby Keita, the, the talk is Naby's gone at the end of the season. He's stolen on a new contract. Again, he's been riddled with injuries. Um, Oxley chamberlain don't even start me on that kid. Um, and then we've got Curtis Jones, who is just coming back from an injury, but it's evident he's going to be a squad player. He's not tearing up the midfield. So straight away, you look at that midfield and you think there's, no, there's not enough depth there uh, to, to kind of handle that. We're having to play young Harvey Elliott as a right central midfielder as a diamond at this point, just so we've got so many numbers in the midfield to try and help out. It's very, very evident we're missing midfielders. The Cody Gakpo deal, from my understanding, wasn't happening this window. We were apparently looking at him at the end of the season, but because of the trans, because of the World Cup and because Man United had made an inquiry, Liverpool had to bring that transfer deal forward and actually make an offer for him um, to stop him kind of getting snapped up. Because of that, it means that the midfield money that we were looking at is potentially not there at this moment in time. Now, that seems mad considering Liverpool have just been announced the third richest club on one of these rich lists over in America. Um, so we're obviously breaking in the money, but there's obviously a plan that FSG have for Liverpool right now um, on how, how they recruit. I fully trust Klopp. I completely believe Klopp knows who he wants and has tokens with what style of player he wants. Let's face it, not many good signings happen in a January window, you know, for that level of quality. We're gonna make we're gonna name the obvious, Jude Bellingham. I think the kid is an absolute sensation. He's nineteen years old, he's ripping it up in Germany, he's Borussia Dortmund's captain, he had a tremendous World Cup. I think he needs to come home. He's a Liverpool fan, his dad's a Liverpool fan. Apparently him his agent wants him to go to Madrid, but apparently his dad and his brother want him to go to Liverpool. So apparently, so the talk is is that Julian Wood, who is the one of the one of the committees for Liverpool, has already had meetings with Jules Bellingham and his dad. So fingers crossed they get that deal over the line. What kind of fee we're talking? You're probably talking hundred million plus, which again, that's big news for Liverpool. That's big dealings. We're breaking our own transfer record, you know, that we have on Van Dijk and Darwin Nunes. So again, it's. It's it's not as simple as going, well, there's there's a hundred million, go drop it like Chelsea are doing. 
I love the Chelsea analogy. Chelsea spent all that money on bringing Sterling, uh, Raheem Sterling in at the beginning of the window, and uh, they bring Obama Young in and then sack Tuchel the next day, who are obviously Tuchel signings. Now they go out and spend ninety million on Mudrik. They, they they spend twelve million on a, on a six month loan deal for Joao Felix, who I'm excited to see. But it's like a pure scattergun approach. Liverpool don't do it like that at all. They obviously have a, a plan. We're good for central defence. We've got the numbers: Matic, Gomez, um, Van Dijk, um, and Kanate. Right back, you can argue Trent needs somebody to keep pushing him. You know, he's a bit comfortable at times because he's probably the best centre back, best right back we have. I'm quite surprised that actually Calvin Ramsey's not been given more time on the pitch. Um, but the talk is he's got to go out on loan. I think Swansea apparently is sniffing about him for loan, so that could do him a world, you know, a bit of time. Andy Robertson, who's been in an absolute enigma. So a back line and our goalkeepers are absolutely fine. It, the strikers, we've already talked about, obviously, the numbers that we have. Diego Jota and Luis Diaz are due back. I can't wait for Diaz to come back because he, he picks up that press. And I think it's very unfair on Darwin Nunes to be lumbering alongside Haaland. And, and, you know, there's completely different players, completely different setups. People forget that Darwin Nunes, this is only his third professional career. Uh, sorry, third year in, in, as a professional footballer. Like... It's so raw that, for me, he's going to be next year. Next year, I think we'll see some really good numbers from him. But for now, we need to sort out the midfield. The, the dream is Jude Bellingham, but I also think we need more than Jude Bellingham. I think we need about two or three midfielders. and I, I, It's kind of like a, a, a mix. We need Jude Bellingham, who's 19 years old. We probably need a seasoned uh, 20 to 25-year-old midfielder that, that knows the way around the park. And we probably need a bit of a stalwart that can come in and mention on Jordan Henderson, you know, um, just, just to kind of fill out. Totally believe in Klopp. I think Klopp will get galvanise the team. I'm hoping that we go on this 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 run that you guys are calling up because every every week I keep saying this is the week, this is the week, and it's just not materialising. So um, we're still in about six, but yeah, comparing them to Chelsea, I think it's completely different opposite ends of the pond um, on how they approach us. No, absolutely, and I agree. I think there is a a, a big rebuild for Klopp coming. Um, this this summer. And I, I, to be to be fair, I quite like Klopp. Uh, I weren't saying that after the result at Ibrox, but uh, he, you know, I, I I think he's a top top manager. Um, to, to be honest, and uh, you know, would like to see him stay there. But um, just just to wrap it up, then boys. Um, you know, obviously time is well. We can't go around every game this weekend, but just to to say, Brighton drew two uh, two away at, at Brendan uh, Rogers Leicester, also struggling. Southampton lost at home to Aston Villa and, and, and Emery's doing really, really well there. Um, Bournemouth drew 1-1 with, with Forrest and, and Leeds drew 0-0 with Brentford and Leeds are another one we've not come onto tonight, but maybe in future shows we all do are struggling and I think a managerial change could be coming there. So all that's left, boys, is to thank the listeners and I want a prediction from, I'm going to put you all on the spot, I want a prediction for your, who's going down, your three teams that are going down, starting with uh, you, please, Colin. Thanks for having us on, Mason, for the, the first show. Um, and thank you to all the listeners, as always. Um, I, I really can't see the bottom three changing. Um, Southampton, Everton, Bournemouth, um, they all might um, take shots each of being rock bottom, but ultimately it'll be those three who roll down. Um, I, I think Wills and West Ham and... Uh, 
in Leeds, they've brought a wee bit more legs in them. Leicester might uh, tease the bottom three with a glimmer of hope, but I just I can't see any way out for Southampton ever in a Bournemouth. But we'll soon see. We'll, um, I will discuss this as it goes on. But thanks for having me. No, thanks for coming on, and um, I'll get mine out of the way, and that's my bottom three, so uh, th- there you go. Uh, thanks for coming on, uh, Graham, and uh, good to have you back on, mate. What, what, who's, your, who's your predictions for, for going down this year? Yeah, cheers for having me on. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm totally agreeing with you guys, so nothing more from me other than those those three I can't see. I can't see anything. Nathan Jones and Gary O'Neill are two of the worst appointments I think I've ever seen by Premier League clubs. And it's all up to Everton if they want to follow suit. If they get somebody decent in, then yeah, maybe maybe a Wolves or West Ham just now. Who knows? But yeah, just now it'll be those three. Yeah, I totally in agreement with them appointments. I think that that will cost them cost them both. And also, Jamie, thanks a lot for your, your debut tonight. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, so, yeah, what's your prediction for the, the bottom three? Obviously, Everton. Um, yeah, I, I I just don't see how they get out of it. I think, see if Dan Juma would have signed, I think then we can easily say there's more goals there. The problem is he's not. He's went to Tottenham and now you're going, where are these goals coming from? They don't score enough. Um, I would say... I would say Everton go down. Um, I think Bournemouth go down. And I'm actually not going to go with Southampton. I think they might have a late rally. I'm going to go Brendan Rodgers to take Leicesterdon, um, which will be an absolute kicker. Nothing to do with the fact I hate Brendan Rodgers, but I just think Leicester are another one where they're struggling to spend money. They're struggling to get numbers through the, their names to the door. Jamie Vardy's like 400 years old um, and they still rely on him. Um, so I'm going to go Everton, Bournemouth and Leicester. Um, and absolutely buzzing to kind of come on and just talk absolute football. Um, this is normally about five pints with Graham and Colin talking absolute rubbish to each other. So the fact that you guys are giving me a platform to do it has, makes it a little bit more special. So thanks very much. Yeah, just to add a bit of context to that, Mason, it's usually Jamie shouting, I love Stephen Gerrard the most. And Graham, no, I love Stephen Gerrard the most. And I'm just stuck in the middle. Like, what's going on? Brilliant. No, no, thank, thanks, boys. And, and as you said, Jamie, yeah, th- thanks a lot for, for coming on. And um, we, we appreciate it. And, and again, thanks to all the listeners. Um, this, you know, we'll keep this going. So, you know, make sure you stay tuned and, and, and catch up for next week. But um, as always, take care and thanks for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 